Welcome. I'm Victoria Schneps, president of Schneps Media, and our power interview today is none other than the one and only, for over 40 years, being number one, Mr. Bill O'Reilly. Welcome, Bill. Hey, Vicki. Thanks for having me on. Well, you know, I have a lot to give uh, to be thankful for about you. I know that your history of being in the broadcast business is uh, soaring because now you have all the Emmy Awards, three Emmys, I guess, to be exact. Now you're working on a, only a worldwide audience of millions <laughs> with your shows, the No Spin News and the First TV. We have a daily broadcast that goes out all over the world. It's doing very well called the No Spin News. You can see it on thefirsttv.com or on BillOReilly.com. And uh, we just cut through it, Vicki. There's no BS. And in this time of confusion, mass confusion, and, you know, upsetting things every day, people need to know the truth. And we'll, we'll tell you. So I think we're the most uh, successful independent news agency in the world now. And we build off uh, history. As you know, I uh, have about 19 million of my books, history books in print. And uh, so everything is going really well for us. And, you know, that's scary. So we got to keep the momentum going and the standards high. Well, that's what you're about. I mean, people may not know, but not only are you a history major from Marist College, but you've got your master's from BU and then another master's from the Harvard uh, John F. Kennedy School of Government. So I go to sleep at night with you, but you don't know that because I read your books on my Kindle every night before I go to sleep. Thank I you. love these series. Very nice of you. You know, I'm overeducated, but it's actually served me well. I used to teach high school history. And when I was teaching in the classroom, it was hard to keep the attention of the urchins because they were conditioned that history was boring and that kind of thing. But I made it interesting by personalizing the stories about famous people and what they did. And I brought that technique to the books, the killing books. And so now we uh, we have our 12th killing book coming out May 3rd called Killing the Killers, a Secret War Against Terrorists. And it's just like all the others is written in a thriller style. Keep you up late at night, turning those pages. But you'll learn an awful lot about the U.S. war on terror, which is ongoing and things that you have never heard before. So. You know, my whole life experience, I try to use what I've learned and what I've done in my day-to-day uh, -day presentations, including the books. Well, you know, I just finished The Killing of the Mob. And, you know, based on what you wrote about the way their vengeance ragged high, I can't believe they weren't involved in the assassinations of Bob Kennedy and John Kennedy because of the fight they made against getting the mafia. Well, you know, it just, it just resonated for me. What do you think, Bill? Well, we did a lot of research. Obviously, Killing the Mob was a huge bestseller. And you're right, organized crime um, hated Bobby Kennedy in particular because he was prosecuting them as attorney general. John Kennedy, not so much. Uh, John Kennedy wasn't really in the mobs uh, on their minds, but Bobby Kennedy certainly was. But in order to assassinate a president of the United States, you have to risk everything. All right. Everything. And organized crime back in 1960 was not willing to do that. So they hated Kennedy, but they knew if they got involved directly with trying to kill him, that 
the wrath of God would come down on the mob and the federal government would just wipe them off the face of the earth. A lot like what happened in the 1930s with the bank robbers, Bonnie and Clyde and Babyface Nelson, John Dillinger. The federal government wiped them out, literally killed all of them. Okay, one survived, Alvin Karpis. The rest were killed because they caused so much damage to the country. Well, the same thing would have been in play had the mob gotten involved with killing JFK. So they didn't. Lee Harvey Oswald, we wrote Killing Kennedy. We prove it beyond any doubt that he was the assassin and the guy who pulled the trigger on JFK. Bobby, I didn't see any mob intrusion there. It was well after he left the attorney general's office. He wasn't a threat to the mob any longer. So I don't believe they had any involvement in that either. However, members of the Kennedy family, some of them disagree with me. Well, I think, you know, it's something that is, is such a hard reality to, uh, to swallow that we're all looking for reasons to be able to blame somebody and to be able to, I don't think there can ever be closure on such a historic uh, assassination, assassinations, I should say. But today, you know, I'm turning the corner of uh, your great success and asking you, now you're a Long Island boy. I was a teacher too in my first life and now went into journalism. Tell me how you uh, came to be, you know, made that turn into the world of journalism from the, from the classroom. Yeah, I was born on the Upper West Side of Manhattan in Columbia Presbyterian Hospital. And my parents moved out to Levittown in 1952, I believe, 52. And my father got a GI loan. And as everybody knows, Levitt was building all these houses exactly the same for all of the GIs. And he was from Brooklyn. And uh, so we went out to Levittown. And I, you know, brought up a working class kid. Uh, it was a great upbringing. It was just hundreds of urchins running around the streets. And uh, all we did all day was play sports and annoy people and couldn't <laughs> ask for uh, more fun. But then after I uh, graduated from college, I, I as I mentioned, uh, became a high school teacher. But I wanted to do something more than that. Not that there was anything wrong with teaching. It's a, a tremendous profession. You help so many people when you do it. But I had a curiosity about the world. I wanted to learn about the world. And so I, I got a master's degree from Boston U in broadcast journalism. And I began my career. And I just, you know, stair-stepped up. I started in Scranton, Pennsylvania, and in five years, I was at Channel 2 in New York covering the news, and my career um, was a good one. Not easy. Not easy. No uncle in the business for me. Nobody pulling any strings. I, I earned it. Uh, but it's been an exciting adventure, that's for sure. Well, I call my life a great adventure, so I'm glad you're thinking the same way I am, because I started with one newspaper, and now we own 88. So, there you, you know. Go. It's a, it's a great adventure, this thing called life. But now we're on to how you really are being a tremendous help to Life's Work, the organization I formed out of my daughter Lara's birth and brain damage and trip to Willowbrook, and then opening all these group homes to have humane, wonderful life for these folks. And you have been so generous to give us $50,000. And now coming as our keynote speaker, as Rihanna Geraldo and myself, how did you get involved in philanthropy? Because you've been raised, what, maybe tens of millions of dollars from your platform. Well, when I began making uh, serious money, I had to decide what I was going to do with it. And I've never been a materialist, Vicky. I'm not a big guy who uh, wants a lot of stuff. I can walk into Macy's and there's nobody, there's nothing in the entire store I want. So I had to decide, okay, now what am I going to do here? 
Uh, I don't want a Ferrari. I don't need a helicopter. Um, what am I going to do with the money? And I believe, you know, I'm a Catholic guy and I believe that you give back. If uh, you're blessed, and I have been, uh, that you owe it to others who have not been as lucky to try to help them. It's a simple equation. So when you and Geraldo Rivera came to me uh, last, uh, I think it was late summer, uh, and yeah. asked me to do the benefit, I said, sure, I'd be happy to do it. I made one request. You may remember that Geraldo can't talk. Uh, other than that, that's a joke. <laughs> <laughs> So Geraldo has been doing this for 50 years, and I know people uh, like you and others who, uh, you know, have had life challenges uh, with autism and other uh, mental and physical ailments. And if I can help raise a lot of money to make the lives of these families better and these individuals better, I'm going to do it. So we did it big time with the uh, wounded warriors in Afghanistan and Iraq, where they got their limbs blown off and their eyes, you know, brain damaged. So we raised more than $30 million to get them uh, high-tech wheelchairs called track chairs through uh, a charity called independencefund.org. And we still raised money for them as well, because there's still people who need, veterans who need those track chairs at $15,000 each. So look, wow. this is my life's work. Uh, just like your charity is called Life Work, this is mine. If I can raise money and help people, I'm going to do it. I think it's the right thing to do, and why wouldn't I do it, right? Well, I think you're very. We feel very blessed, and I feel very blessed, Bill, that you have come into my life and to Geraldo. You know, extended this wonderful spider web of generous people, and you are on top of the, uh, absolutely on top. And I just needed to thank you personally, and to tell you how grateful we are at Life's Work, and I am to have you as a friend and to be so respected and uh, cherished. And I can't wait to read your next book. So this is Bill O'Reilly who is going to be the keynote speaker at our Life's Work Gala, celebrating 50 years of service. So thank you, Bill. All right, Vicki, we'll see you April 1st. And uh, I really appreciate uh, your friendship. Thanks for having me on. Looking forward to the next book. Have a great day. Bye.